Tonight we're looking in the book of Matthew chapter 13. I'm not sure we will cover the entire chapter tonight. So what we'll do is we'll start and then we'll see how far we go with this lesson. Matthew 13 is by far one of the most prominent chapters in the Bible with, with regard to parables. Jesus speaks in parables a lot in this chapter. A parable is a story that's taken from a word parabola. We get it in, in geometry. You have parabolas. Parabolas are curves that look sort of like a V or a U. And uh, it, for instance, the shape of a flight of a ball that you throw is in a parabola. It's parabolic. Well, Jesus spoke in parabolas or rounded stories. He, he, instead of speaking directly to people, often he would speak around the subject, which is why it's called a parabola or a parable, parabolas. Uh, and these parables, and the English word is just a transliteration of the Greek. The Greek word and the English word are very similar. So there's not a translation uh, the word parable is not a translation at all. It's just an Engl anglicized version of par parabolas. So he's going to speak in these parables, and we're going to look at them today. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the, on the same day, now that's the same day in the previous chapter where he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So he moves out actually in a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and in, in the boat he preaches to them, and they are, it's probably a cove or some area that wraps around where the, the boat is, so he can speak and the acoustics would have been better. So a lot of people could gather around on the hillside and actually form like an auditorium. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, the Old English uses and the New English translations like the New King James uses the term sower. Unfortunately, a lot of modern translations and people who have been educated in uh, school in the last 30 years, the word sower is not used very much, but it is a very important term. It means a planter, somebody who's planting, a farmer. So he's, and, and sowing seed is still commonly used by farmers. They know what that term means, but uh, it means a planter went out to plant. And as he planted, some seed fell by the wayside. In other words, the side of the road. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places or rocky ground where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, meaning a hundred times, some sixty, some thirty. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that's the parable. I'm not going to bother explaining to you the parable yet because guess what? We are fortunate in this chapter that Jesus actually explains at least two of the parables for us. So we're going to read further and learn what he says they mean because it's, it's, it's so much better when he does it. <laughs> he does a great job, obviously. But the parable of the sower, you should note, is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are called the synoptic gospels. They are the ones that start at the beginning of Jesus's life or, or his birth, or at least his ministry, and follow the events up until his death and resurrection. So the synoptic gospels, all three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have this story, and it's virtually identical. So it's very interesting. Now, verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's a good question. Why do, you, why do you use these strange stories? Why, why do you do it? But and he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you, he's talking about the disciples, the followers, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So he's saying to them that you, my disciples, you have been given a special understanding and gift of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The crowds, it's not popularly unveiled to them. They don't understand it uh, on, the, on first glance. They are going to be confused. So on purpose, Jesus sometimes gives a message that he knows is going to be misunderstood. You might say, oh, we should always strive for perfect communication and understandability in everything we do. I've heard people say this. I've heard people say that about education and in educational seminars, as if it's always the teacher's fault if people don't learn. And unfortunately, the poor teachers sometimes are guilt-ridden when their children, their students, don't always understand. But guess what? Sometimes the student has to put an effort forth and the student has to go and put the study into the subject and overcome it themselves. And if they don't, then they're not, and they don't exercise their determination and their partnership in the process, then they are going to uh, not learn. And what Jesus is going to mean by this is that he is hiding the message from, to, from an obvious understanding so that it will test people whether or not they're sincere in their desire to know about God. Because if they're just going to go the other way and say, I don't have time for that, I don't understand that, and they just write it off, then that's, that's their choice. And sometimes it's good to struggle and, and to, to wrestle with. And, and, and it's kind of like Jacob. He wrestled with God in the middle of the night, all night. And then at the end, he gets the blessing. And I think that's some of our hard-headedness uh, when we study the Bible. It may seem like it takes a long time to figure things out, but it's worth it. And, and, and don't be discouraged just because you don't understand something the first time you read it. Okay, so verse 12, he says, for whoever has, 
to him more will be given. Well, in this case, he says it's being given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus says, I'm with you on a daily basis. I am showing you all these things and you've been given a gift of the knowledge of what I'm doing and you're seeing all these things. But you've been given much and you're going to be given more. And that's a key thing. That phrase here in particular is deal, dealing with the disciples. Not only would they get these understandings, they're going to get a whole lot more. And he says, whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So the, the casual listener, the one who just brushes Jesus off and says, I don't have time for these parables. I don't have time for all these things. The casual listener is going to lose even what they have. That's sad. That's, that should alert all of us how important it is to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus says, the reason I'm speaking to them in parables is that they see what I'm saying, but they don't actually understand it and see it. And, and because of that, that I don't go further because I feel like I've done my duty. He's done what he's supposed to be doing. And then those that do love Jesus, those that do know that he is God's son, these people are going to get a and figure things out because what little understanding they have, they're going to have more. So don't give up on yourself. Just know that God wants us to understand his truth and it's a process. It's not instant. And it's like growth. You did, we didn't start off with the ability to run. We had to first grow to where we could crawl and then we had to be able to walk and then run. So, but it didn't take long to run once we could walk, though, I guarantee you. So in verse number 14, Jesus says, And in them, talking about the, the audience, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, that is a sad statement. I feel like a lot of people's hearts in our world have grown dull. Millions of people who have no desire whatsoever to learn anything from Jesus at all. There's no hunger for him. There's no desire. Their hearts are dull. They don't care. And I think there's a lot of people who don't care. And, and now they're depressed because all the things they did care about have been removed from them when they should be caring about God even more. Pray that their hearts would not be dull. He says, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have closed. <laughs> They're not blind. They just close their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So part of our job and people's job is to try to understand God's message because his message is a healing message. That's very timely, I think. When we listen to God, there is a healing that occurs 
when we understand and obey what he says. And the point is not to satisfy our intellectual curiosity, but rather to heal us spiritually, mentally and emotionally, and physically. He wants us to be healed in every way. He really does. You say, well, Brother Keith, what about the people who die of a sickness that believe in Jesus? Well, is that the end of their life? <laughs> no. Uh, he's going to heal them too. They, they're going to be healed. They're already healed. They don't have that sickness anymore. So healing is God's plan for all of us. And it's not incomplete healing. There are not going to be lame people in the kingdom of heaven unless God wants them to be lame for another purpose, but they're not going to regret it. They, they actually will not be handicapped in any way. So technically, there's not going to be anyone. They may be scarred, but remember, uh, Jesus bears his scars from us in heaven. <laughs> so th that's a badge of honor for Jesus. So we all honor him for that. So maybe God will allow us to carry our scars into heaven if they were scars given to us for the right reason, like we serve God. So let's keep going. Verse 16, Jesus continues to talk. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So he's complimenting the disciples because they're understanding this. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So he's saying to them, you're blessed, your eyes are blessed because you're seeing something that the greatest people of the Old Testament did not see. There were some fine, wonderful, godly men and women of the Old Testament. And these people actually died with an incomplete knowledge of God's plan. They didn't really understand it. But God has revealed to these disciples something so wonderful. Look at all the thousands of people Jesus healed. Look at, at, at the amazing teachings they saw from Jesus's own uh, preaching and heard with their own ears. They literally were blessed. And he says, you're blessed because of this. Verse 18, Jesus then explains the parable of the sower that he said earlier in the chapter. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. And of course, this is the casual hearer. The casual hearer, he listens, it goes in one ear and out the other. And because he's not or she's not intent on paying attention to Jesus, the devil takes away the thought. Their hearts are so open-minded that they leak everything that they need to keep. You ever heard of that? I mean, they really do. They leak everything because they don't actually try to remember. Uh, modern medical scientists tell us that the brain has short-term and long-term memory. The short-term memory lasts for about eight seconds. And if you don't remember something after eight seconds, it just gets pushed off and you, and you forget it. 
And that's the way it is. You're literally, your mind can only accept certain information and give concentration for certain things for a certain period of time, and then it kicks it out of the way. So in order to to, to overcome the short-term memory problem, which everybody normally has, because there's very rarely somebody has a perfect photographic memory. There are some, but they're very rare people. Uh, but in the case of most of us, the short-term memory is such that if you don't stop and make yourself anchor that thought for more than just a casual period of time, you're going to lose it. So if you don't use it, you lose it. And Jesus has proven that point with the casual listener. But he who received the seed in verse 20 on stony places or rocky ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, this is the person who accepts the word of God emotionally. They actually like what they hear. They respond, and apparently it looks like they are having a spiritual experience of God's word, and it looks good for a while, but there is a problem. It's only superficial. It's only on an emotional level. And if your religion and my religion is only based upon our emotions, well, what happens when we get depressed? <laughs> We're not going to be sticking with it, are we? What happens if somebody puts up a resistance to us and rejects us and says, we hate what you're doing? Oh, well, I don't want to do that. It makes me unpopular. You see how it works? Is that doesn't matter how much emotions you have when you initially like something, if you are basing your allegiance to Jesus upon your personal affection and emotions, they're going to wear away. And you can never base your relationship with Jesus on your emotions, which is why all these people who say, follow your heart, are so wrong. They're wrong. Your heart will lead you the wrong way. Your emotions are shallow and they are a very bad anchor for your soul. They're important to have. You should have joy, but you should also know that that's not the root of your strength. Your strength is in something else. You have to have root. You have to have commitment. You have to have real internal transformation. And that's what he's talking about. So they fall away at the first sign of trouble, they're gone. Verse 22, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now here's a person who does accept the word, believes it intellectually. They have a real knowledge that God is real. So these are the people who have knowledge-based faith, but not real faith, not a transforming faith. Because what happens is they allow the thorns of the world, worldliness itself, to choke out the world, to choke out the word in them. 
so that they are, they got one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world's kingdom, and they just can't perform that way. And God doesn't want us to be that way. So they become unfruitful. So they're pretenders too. They're not actually saved. They have an experience of knowledge of God, but they do not have a transforming faith. So what is the last group? the seed on the good ground. Well, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So the fruitfulness and the reproduction of our own spiritual life in the lives of others and in the fruit of the spirit, that fruitfulness should be multiples of ourselves and of ourselves. So we literally want to be in a multiplication, not an addition mathematics here. And that's why the good ground is when we hear it, we understand it and actually obey it. And that's why we need to do that. So so Jesus actually explained that that parable very well. And we don't really have to add much to it at all. We don't want to add anything. We just need to understand it in our own language. Another parable he put forth to them in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Tares were like weeds. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Well, he's going to explain that parable later, so I'm going to keep going. Verse number 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, he doesn't explain that parable. And there's a lot of good studies of this. So I'm not going to pretend to give you the definitive answer of what that meaning of that is. There are some obvious lessons. First of all, the mustard seed being small, it may even seem insignificant, but when it is sown and it goes through the process of death and comes back to life, it comes up as a great plant and it grows far greater than what you would perceive from its initial state. So great that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, what are, who are the birds of the air? What, what is this? Well, 
what does when you have birds and seeds mentioned together in stories usually what happens is the birds gobble up the seeds okay so what happens with god's kingdom is the birds are not going to gather and gobble up these seeds but in fact the kingdom is going to be holding them up and they're going to rest upon us because we the church the kingdom is going to be so great that the birds are going to be hanging around the branches. Some interpreters have interpreted this to mean that there will be false teachers and preachers who will hang around the branches trying to cause problems for people. I don't know. So it is a complex thing, and it is a, uh, I think there are some obvious facts about it, but I, I feel that that is a, something that you should study, pray about, and read as many interpretations that uh, are written by godly people. Verse 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Now, leaven, of course, is like is yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, that was a, a large amount of, of, of flour. Now, obviously... Most of the time in the Bible, leaven is seen as a bad thing spiritually, okay? So a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump is a passage repeated in the Bible, meaning that a little bit of evil can cause great problems and cause an inflation of the flour into bread dough, and it can cause problems. However, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, so I don't believe here he's referring to leaven negatively because I don't think the kingdom of heaven is negative. And I feel like this is a simple interpretation where he's saying, he's again emphasizing a small amount of faithful people can have great impact on the world. Can you say the disciples. <laughs> I mean, they did a pretty good job. You have to admit that they went around and they ended up with tens of thousands of people in their lifetime who came to know Jesus. Most of them gave up their lives. And all of them except John, those uh, early disciples, they all died a violent death except for John. So that's that's that that yeast, that leaven. Little bit but it's, it does a whole lot. And I, I, I really think that the kingdom of heaven is, it, it starts out with these disciples and then it grows and becomes a great thing. So I could be wrong about it and, and I hope that you will do your own studies on it. Verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So he's fulfilling the prophecies of the, the, the Bible. And, uh, and that was, of course, written in uh, Psalm 78. But verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So now we're going to figure out what that that parable meant. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. So in other words, Jesus is the farmer. He's the planter. 
The field is the world. That's, that's important to remember because it comes in later. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So basically saved and lost people. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The devil does plant many evil people in this world. They've sold their soul to the devil, literally. They've done it. And they, they grow up, and it appears as though they are doing well. And like they never get judged. That's what we think. They do get judged. but The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So it's a simple parable, and let's don't read too much into it. He's not trying to set schedules. He's not even trying to go into elaborate details. He's just talking about relationally what is the difference between believers and non-believers. So in verse 40, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, let me allow you to, to look and possibly understand this. Sometimes Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven as just all saved people. Sometimes he's referring to, this, to the promised nation of Israel. And the age of Israel's time is the period spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9. So the end of the age could be the end of the Jewish age, which had, according to Daniel, 70 groups of seven years. And yet, one of those weeks hasn't occurred yet. It has yet to happen. And so some interpreters look at this passage and they say that last week of Daniel, the great, the great tribulation, those seven years, that will be the end of the age and the faithful Jewish people, they will be gathered and the unfaithful will be thrown out. And that is a, a very realistic interpretation of this passage. So I actually think that it means two things. It has a twofold interpretation. I think it generally speaks about everybody, but it also, I think, particularly references Israel. And I could be wrong, and I realize there are diff disagreements about this, but we go on. Now, I wanted to get to uh, this next part, verse uh, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, the obvious first interpretation that most people make is that God is so great that once you discover him, sell everything you have and grab a hold of his salvation. There's nothing wrong with that message. I mean, it, once you hear what God has, everything else means nothing. 
So literally, we should sell everything we have and gain it. But I want to tell you that I don't believe, not even really for one minute, that that's the main meaning of this. I, I want you to look carefully about what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, he just got through saying that the field is the world. Okay, remember that. The field is the world. The treasure is what's in the world. And notice that the man found this treasure, but he hid them. I really believe that when Adam and Eve sinned, the whole human race were con was condemned. But, he, but Jesus did not send Adam, I don't think, and Eve, and I don't think he sent many of the faithful people throughout the Old Testament. I don't believe he sent them to hell. I think he preserved them and hid them. I think he kept them safe because he knew he was going to do something to buy them because the man here who is finding the treasure and hiding these people for joy goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. Jesus is the man. He literally sees the people who can be saved. He loves us so much that he says, I'm going to cover them and protect them because I'm going to go and I'm going to die for them and I'm going to Give, I'm going to give up all my privileges of being God for a brief period of time that I can be a man so that I can actually pay a price. And he, he paid everything. He, he paid it all. And he didn't buy the treasure. Who did he buy? The world. His sacrifice was so expensive that it literally is able to buy the entire world. But he did it because there were a few people that could be saved, <laughs> the treasured ones. But he bought the whole world. He owns everything. Jesus has title deed to everybody and to everything. And we all owe him our allegiance. Every knee will bow and call him Lord someday. Everybody. The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> they will all say this to the Lord. And everybody can be saved because of this, by the way, if they wish to be saved. So I, I really believe that Jesus is the man who paid it all to buy the field. He didn't just buy the treasure. He bought the field, the whole world. Now, let's keep going, because similarly, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And I think similarly here, I think the merchant is Jesus. And I think he saw how great a salvation is possible and so he actually sold everything to gain this wonderful salvation for us. But again, you can go back and many people say, well, we should love God as a great pearl and we should sell everything we have. And, and that's, the, that's certainly a common interpretation. 
the last uh, the parables I think we're going to look at here is uh, this one in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And just this is just an agreement with what he said earlier. Notice he says the end of the age. So I think there's a dual meaning here. One is topically and one is actually chronologically, but I'm not going to go into all of that. So Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. I wonder if they lied. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, maybe they said yes because they're like us. When people say, "Are you? Are you? Uh, how are you doing?" We say, "Fine." Well, we might not be. So we we are known to say things that maybe are not true. Uh, even uh, uh, Peter, when he told the Lord when he saw the vision of the sheet and the animals unclean and clean, he the Lord says, arise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter says, no, not so, Lord, I, I can't do it. And, and, and God says, well, don't call unclean that which I've made clean. So he, he was contradicting himself and contradicting the Lord, but we contradict the Lord a lot. So they said, yes, Lord, but I, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical here. Verse 52, then he said to them, therefore, every scribe or teacher instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. This is why I personally believe Jesus has a dual meaning for these parables. I think it applies generally to all people and particularly to the nation of Israel as the guarantor of the promises. And that's where you get the old treasure is the nation of Israel, and the new treasure is the kingdom of God, which includes Jews and Gentiles together. Okay, and that's what I believe he means by this. Now, I could be wrong, but to me, that best fits this situation. Because why else is he talking about old and new? He's got the old covenant that he promised to fulfill with Israel, but he also has the new covenant, which involves both Jewish people and uh, Gentiles. So that's if we understand the parables, he gave us a key to understanding them, that we must have a, a dual interpretation here to know the old and the new treasure. There is a treasure of the old and the new. It's not either or, it's both. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, that's probably near Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue so that when they, excuse me, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother, or not his mother, called Mary, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, James and Judas, or Jude, would write books in the Bible. We have books in the Bible named after those men. But they didn't follow Jesus at the time. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they, they, he, didn't, he never showed this type of power when he was growing up there. He was quiet and 
did his thing. You know, he did the right thing, but he didn't show all this power. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And that uh, is, is a true statement, I think, today. Now, when he did not do... Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And, and notice that Jesus chose to do it. It's not that they uh, had the power to be healed. It's that he chose because they didn't believe he withdrew his services. He withdrew helping them because they didn't have faith. And he ended it right there. So that concludes a very long chapter 13 but a very rich chapter 13.